Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. It's Friday. They used to say TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Well, we thank God for every day, but it's also good to know that many of us are going to kind of begin the wind down of our long week, perhaps, and we're going to move into a time of shalom and rest. And as you know, today is Shabbat. It is a day of rest. It is what is known in Scripture as the Sabbath. And I hope that you're preparing to take a beautiful little Sabbath. I know we're looking forward to a Sabbath today. And, of course, we'll be gathering together tomorrow night. And remember, okay, let's get this straight here just before we get going. Remember what today is. And I want to go all the way back because we're talking, I mean, we are talking day number 47, day number 47 in the counting of the Omer, which is six weeks and five days. And so at the setting of the sun tonight, we will begin day number 48. And then Saturday will be day number 49. And then Sunday will be day 50. We'll be Shavuot. That'll be the next great feast this coming Sunday. And my God, there is so much mystery wrapped up in the Feast of the Lord. There are so many things to unveil, so many pearls and true treasures of Christ in the Feast of the Lord. We'll talk about those hopefully before we get off the air today. But I wanted to reiterate what we've been talking about the last few days, and I want to get into our conversation immediately today um, about the book of Revelation and some things that God has for us. But I want to wait 
for some of our friends to join us. We're about a minute and 48 seconds into our conversation and just saying good morning to everybody out there today. Shalom. Trust you're doing very well. I see River of Fire Ministries is joining us right now on, uh, what is that, YouTube. Good morning to YouTube. And by the way, I had a uh, something was said to me yesterday. If you're wanting to look back or to uh, download or share our YouTube or our Facebook videos that we do every morning, Tuesday through Friday, uh, usually they're up within about 15 minutes, and you could find those, and then you can share them if you thought they were worthy to share. Um, someone said they weren't up. I searched it out. They were up. Uh, they were just, you have to kind of look for them, unfortunately, but uh, regardless, they are there. So good Friday morning to everybody. Good Friday morning. I think we're going to have a brilliant conversation today. We want to pour out this last hour and a half of this week on the videos and on Omega Radio and Blog Talk Radio. I want to welcome everybody on Blog Talk Radio right now. I want to thank you for calling in, listening by your telephone. Remember, at any time you would like to share a conversation, you have a thought, an idea, something you want to impart, remember, all you have to do if you're already tuned in on Blog Talk Radio is press 1 on your dial pad. We'll bring you right into the broadcast, and uh, you can share your thoughts globally around the world. Yeah, that's right. we got people all the time telling us they're listening to this ministry from India, the Middle East, from uh, everywhere. It's just out there. Who knows how far-reaching uh, these podcasts go, and I know a lot of folks are doing them. So, But I'm so glad you're here today, and I'm so glad that we can have this final conversation as we are studying the book of Revelation, and <clears throat> today is going to be a, um, a very sober conversation because as you and I have looked at this end-time prophecy known as the book of Revelation, it is an end-time prophecy, and as you and I have considered the possibility that our generation, being the 50th generation, talk about the 50th day Pentecost or the 50th year, a jubilee. Well, we are a jubilee generation, the 50th generation since Yeshua was on the earth. We are that generation. And if we have come to a possibility in our thinking that we may very well be the final generation and that the book of Revelation, the prophecy that was given to the final generation, if we've come to understand that, then we understand what we are moving towards. We understand what is coming at us at a very powerful and strong rate of speed. And the things that are coming that are written in the book of Revelation, some things that were written we have already encountered. The world has already encountered Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation. And so we expect, because of the continuation and the unfolding in a divine order of Bible prophecy, that the events that are going to come, and nobody knows the day and hour of the next event or the next birth pang, but we suspect some major birth pangs are going to take place. And again, we're going to get into this conversation. And so there's no doubt in my mind, and I don't know if there is in yours, that if we are the final generation and the book of Revelation prophecy is intended to be fulfilled in our generation, and we are here at that time, then what we are going to witness is beyond 
drama coming out of Hollywood. This is not a Hollywood movie. Um, it is a reality that is going to be very devastating in many ways, tremendous chaos, a lot of persecution, martyrdom, and an environment in this world that is going to take it to places it's never been before. I mean, the Bible does say that the great tribulation, and we're going to talk about this in Matthew 24, Jesus said that the great tribulation that will be in the end of the age before his coming is going to be greater than any other tribulation that has ever been on the earth or ever will be again. So when you consider the days of Noah, when you consider the days of Lot, when you consider 586 BC and the destruction of the temple or 70 AD or the Nazi concentration, uh, you know, Holocaust, all of those things were horrific. But what Jesus said is is the generation that will be alive and remaining, that will endure the great tribulation that Jesus spoke about and the book of Revelation prophecy declares, it will be greater than any of those. And we do know that while in the days of Noah, it seems to be the universal flood, that would have been one of the worst tribulation periods, if you will. But this earth is now reserved unto fire. Our generation is reserved unto fire. So there's not a relaxing of Bible prophecy concerning the uh, level of tribulation. In fact, the tribulation, meaning pressure, the thlipsis, is going to be ramped up into overdrive in our last days. So we expect that fully. We've come to that understanding. So now knowing what the Bible says, the question remains. For you and I, for believers around the world, for Christians around the world, how then shall we live? And today I want to talk to you about some very serious things from a biblical perspective and from my own personal experience um, of being a pastor for coming up on 29 years and being a Christian for 39 years and reading my Bible and walking out and working out my salvation like everybody else. We've had some experience, and now that my mind is fully engaged in the reality that the book of Revelation prophecy is a reality, it's real, and it's coming, and it's already begun, and so we can expect, because God gave us wisdom and revelation so we would know what's coming, so we're not caught off guard, well then, how do I address myself? And there are some powerful forces, I'm going to talk to you about one of them, that will ruin everything if we're not careful. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I hope you're ready to join me in some Bible study. I want to begin today's broadcast going back to a very familiar passage of Scripture again, and that is going to be in Matthew chapter 24. So if you would like to join me in Matthew chapter 24, it's going to answer a lot of questions, but we have a a different Uh, view, okay? There's a particular view out of all the different things that are spoken of in Matthew 24. There is one particular view that I'm going to uh, center in on, and because this is the devastator, all right? This is the thing that will ruin everything. If we're not careful, regardless of how many years we've been Christians, regardless of how many years we've been preparing, regardless of All of our past experiences combined together, there's one event 
that can undermine and ruin everything, and we need to talk about it. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 24, and let's read through it. For those of you, by the way, that are tuning in right now and have always been under the impression that there is a pre-tribulational rapture, I would catch your attention by what we're going to read, but it's not our emphasis today. But you will notice one thing, and here's how I've always put it. If there is a pre-tribulational rapture, probably one of the greatest events that would ever take place in the history of the church age, I mean, you're talking about the end of the world, the second coming of Christ, all these events, and then there's a pre-trib rapture involved in it, then obviously I would think that I would refer to the great teacher, Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the master. He's the teacher. And if there were to be such a great event as a pre-tribulational rapture, then surely Jesus, in his end-time discussion or talking about the things that will happen in the last days, he will, would have mentioned it and made it very clear like he does everything else. I mean, he makes the tribulation very clear what's coming. He talks about many things that are very precise and very clear. You don't have to try to squeeze a circle into a square. And so it is with the pre-trib rapture doctrine that if it's true, Jesus would absolutely declare it. So as we're reading Matthew chapter 24, you may take note that the master says nothing about a pre-tribulational rapture, but that's not the emphasis of today's time together on the air. So Matthew chapter 24, and I'm sure the devil right now is kind of shaking in his boots. He probably doesn't want you to hear this message, especially those who are afflicted by it. And I'm going to encourage you, stay the course. Stay with me for an hour and a half. God is faithful. Holy Spirit will have his way. Holy Spirit will teach you. Holy Spirit will teach us. He'll guide us. He'll direct us. He'll reveal things to us. And I believe he has something for you that is going to enrich your life, equip you, prepare you, and cause you to avoid one of the greatest snares that will come upon this earth, knowing that the last days are truly here. So I want to begin in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. I'm just going to pick it up in verse 6. And it says, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. But, you know, for the people that are thinking maybe about a pre-trib rapture, let's go back to Matthew 24, 4. Or no, let's go back to Matthew 24, 3. Let's start in Matthew 24, 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him. Speaking of Jesus, the disciples came unto him. And if you are interested of knowing what disciples particularly, you would go to Mark chapter 13, and you would find Peter, James, John, and Andrew. There were actually four disciples. They're named in Mark 13. And when it says, as Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives, if you've ever been to Israel, you know when you're on the Mount of Olives, you're looking on to Jerusalem. You're looking down at Jerusalem. It's, it's an absolutely a stunning view of Jerusalem. And so on the, he's sitting, Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, came unto him privately. So these four disciples, his inner core, if you will, came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? Now, they're referring to what he said earlier 
In verse 1 of Matthew 24, Jesus went out, departed from the temple. He and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. So remember that the disciples were showing Jesus the massive temple buildings. And Jesus, in verse 2, said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, that was shocking to their mind. They're looking at the valuable temple stones and the massive buildings, you know, the impregnable fortress, the impenetrable uh, temple of God Almighty. And yet Jesus says every single one of those stones are going to be cast down. There won't be left one upon another. And that's what blew their minds. So now they come to Jesus privately, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and they're asking him, Tell us when shall these things be? Now, I believe they're referring directly to the temple destruction. Then they go on and ask another question. That was the first question. When shall these things be with the temple stones? Then they said, and what shall be the sign of your coming? Question number two. And of the end of the world Question number three. Three questions by four disciples. Number one, when are these stones going to be thrown down? That's probably the 70 AD event, probably that, and also in Revelation chapter 11. But the second question is, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, when you study the New Testament about the coming of the Lord, it always is exactly the same, and we're going to talk about it because Jesus will answer this question, okay? So question number two, what will be the sign of your coming? And question number three, and the end of the world. When is it all going to end? All right, so Jesus in verse four answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Number one, your responsibility My responsibility as we are listening to all that is being said is we are to take heed that no man deceives us. Men may deceive on purpose. Men may deceive accidentally just by passing on information that's false and not knowing it. You and I must be very sober about what we are hearing because Jesus said in the last days, Okay, when all these things are going to happen and then the sign of his coming, the end of the world, you need to be careful that you're not deceived. Okay, now many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. So the majority, the pluros or the, uh, the, the polis is the, is the Greek word for many. And it means the majority, the large crowd. So the majority of believers living in the time of fulfillment of these words that Jesus is about to speak are going to be deceived. And we know that in the last days, the deceiver, the devil who deceives the whole world will be very active. We talked yesterday about the magicians and the master magician of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 13, how they, through words, they chisel in the minds of man, their delusions and deceptions and their occult power and their words and their lies. And if you didn't hear that message yesterday, you could go and tune in and listen to it. So we know great deception will be in the earth. And many, the majority, will be deceived. This is not a healthy thing. Now, verse 6, Jesus said, You shall hear of wars 
and rumors of wars. All right. First thing, deception. Second thing, you're going to hear, you're going to start hearing rumors. You're going to hear about wars. You're going to hear rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. All right, so there's a couple of ways to look at those first few verses. And again, I'm just being very mild with these. You can go back to 70 AD, and you could see a time when uh, Titus and the, the Roman armies, which were mostly the Middle Eastern proxy armies of, of Rome, they went into Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, they set it on fire, they did all this negative stuff. The only problem with that being the actual prophetic sign is except for one source of information known as the book of uh, Josephus, or Josephus was a historian, uh, there was no second coming of the Lord, and there was no end of the world. Now, you can also apply these words to the far end of time, to Revelation chapter 11. There will be a temple built, but remember, the outer court will be given to the Gentiles to tread it down 42 months. So we also have a temple being rebuilt in the last days that will undergo a crushing. So you could apply all of these things. Now, Jesus just made it clear. Now, in, it's, in 2,000 years ago, were people hearing of wars and rumors of wars? I mean, Rome was the ruling power of the earth. They were dominating the region in the Middle East and around the world. They were occupying, um, you know, so whatever wars and rumors of wars may have been then, well, now today we're looking at wars and rumors of wars. I mean, it's very obvious. So, but the end is not yet. Let's move on to verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. Now, have there been famines before? Have there been earthquakes before? Have there been pestilences before? From the beginning of time, no doubt. But Jesus is answering three questions. When will these things be? The destruction of the temple. What will be the sign of your coming? That is so key to know the sign of his coming. Okay? And the end of the world. Because there are certain things associated with the coming of the Lord that if they don't match up, then we cannot conclude that the Lord came in 70 AD, like the rapture of the church. There was no pre-tribulational rapture of the church in 70 AD. Jesus Christ didn't bring his millennial reign onto the earth in 70 AD. We have not been under the millennial righteous rule and reign of Jesus Christ for the last 2,000 years. Well, we've had the Inquisitions and the Crusades, the bubonic plague, World War I, World War II, Vietnam. That's not the righteous rule of Jesus Christ. So we agree with that. So we have to be careful how we think. Then he said... All these things are going to go on, again, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in different places. In Mark, it talks about commotions and troubles and unstable times. In Luke 21, it gives even more flavor to the things that will be going on. The difference is, is that this is the mini apocalypse spoken by Jesus that fulfills the book of Revelation perfectly. And what you pick up and understand from Revelation is that these events will be global all over the world at the same time. So these are the general events 
that are going to take place on earth when it's time for the end of the world, his coming, when shall these things be? Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. So all we read so far in Matthew chapter 24 is what Jesus foretold would be the global environment all over the world. There would be weather issues, sickness issues, war issues, turmoil is what it's talking about. Commotion, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear of the things that are coming on the earth. But he said, this is not the end. He said, all these are the beginning of sorrows, the beginning. This is a woman that begins her labor. It begins with a first contraction. I believe that the first contraction in our generation was 9-11-2001. It was a global contraction. 9-11 was not American-centric. It wasn't Israeli-centric. 9-11 affected the entire world, a global contraction, a birth pang that set things in motion. The Patriot Act, spyware, invasiveness to the privacy of citizens around the world, new mechanisms and new technologies and artificial intelligences to spy on people, watch people, listen to people, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yes, 9-11 was a global contraction within a generation that is witnessing end-time Bible prophecy while Israel is a nation. If you've, under, if you've been following, this, these are all important keys. And then there's, in verse 9, the biggest word you're going to need to circle it in Matthew 24, verse 9. It is the word then. And the word then is connecting ideas. First of all, it's saying, okay, here's what's going to be the beginning of sorrows. And that's a global general thing of all this stuff going on just generally around the world. But then when those things are happening, they sh shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. So now you could see Jesus kind of telling them about global events. And then he looks directly in the eyes of his four disciples. And he says, then, while all these things are going on, shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, Jesus is talking directly to the disciples that are asking the questions, and he's telling them that while the world is in turmoil, there is going to come a very determined and specific attack against the disciples of Jesus Christ. Those of us who are living in this day right now, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that Jesus is talking to our generation. He's been talking to every generation in the church age. And every generation had to view life through the lens of Scripture and find out, are we the ones? Well, we're the generation that's here while Israel becomes a nation after 1,900 years. We're the ones that are here with technology exploding around the world. We're the ones that are witnessing all end-time Bible prophecy that's been spoken by the prophets and the apostles and Jesus Christ himself 
witnessing, manifesting around the world. It would be foolish for you and I to be thinking it can't be us. Of course, if there's been any generation in the last 2,000 years, it's us. Remember, 70 AD, Israel was not a nation, a scattered people to the ends of the earth. And a lot of Bible prophecy went on pause until Israel was made a nation again. Now, there's going to come a persecution. And what Jesus is talking about here, when they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, then shall kill you, the disciples, and you, the disciples, shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. When he says hated of all nations, that's referring to Revelation 13, when the dragon and the beast are in power and the whole world is worshiping and all the nations of the earth are worshiping the dragon and the beast and they're coming against those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Um, In other words, Jesus in verse 9 begins his conversation about what the greatest tribulation on the face of the earth will look like. And the very first thing he said is they're going to deliver you up to be afflicted. The word afflicted is the Greek word thlipsis. And the word thlipsis means a pressing. So they're going to press. They're going to put pressure. There's going to be distress or straits. It's going to be a time of anguish and burden and trouble. This is all the Greek. Okay, so this, these are the times that we are in. This is what Christ is doing. Then he said, not only will they bring you up to be afflicted, but they will kill you. And the word kill here is very interesting because it's the apoktino. And what it literally means is to destroy, to kill outright, to slay. In other words, this isn't pleasant. This is like beheadings. These are like torture chambers. This is not a nice little thing, okay, this is, they're going to kill you on purpose, and they're going to use mechanisms of destruction against the disciples. He's not talking about the world here. Jesus is referring directly to the disciples that will be alive and remaining during the time of this great tribulation. Now, he goes on to say, not only will they kill you, but you shall be hated, of all nations. And that word there, listen to this, you shall be miseod is the Greek, and it means you will be detested. They will detest you. They will pursue you with hatred. Very powerful word, and it means to persecute as well. Now listen to this. This is very important. So verse 9 Here is now the focus, the beginning of what the Great Tribulation is going to look like, what we've been studying in Revelation 6 through 13, all of it really, but particularly chapter 13. All nations will will hate Christians, disciples around the world. And then, verse 10, and then shall many, here's the majority of disciples, the majority of disciples, then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. My first question to you this morning is, do you see anywhere thus far in the dialogue of a pre-tribulational rapture. In other words, do you see Jesus saying to his disciples, okay, the beginning of sorrows is coming, these general signs, 
So get ready because you're out of here. Or does he say, no, these signs are telling you that you're about to be turned over. You're about to be hated. You're about to be afflicted. You're about to be killed. You're going to be hated by all nations. Does Jesus anywhere tell them they're disappearing at this point? No. But he goes on to say that many will be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. We're not talking about the world here. We're talking about disciples because the majority of them are not ready for what is coming because they've been told they won't be here for what is coming. So they're not ready to be hated by all the nations of the earth. They're not ready to be afflicted and killed. And, and because of this environment that I can't even begin to describe how intense it is going to be and how thick the satanic is going to be against the body of Christ and against disciples of Christ, People are going to just get offended. They're going to betray each other. They're going to hate each other in the body of Christ. Wow. Are you kidding me? So the pressure that's coming is going to create an environment amongst God's disciples to hate each other, to betray each other. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. But listen, it's not far-fetched. I'm going to share a mystery with you today. I'm going to focus on a particular event, and I'm going to share something with you from my heart. The one thing that is going to devastate the purpose of God in your life as a disciple, you are hearing and looking at your Bible right now that the disciples are going to be offended. They're going to hate one another. They're going to betray one another. How are you, how, how does, do disciples get there? How do followers of Christ get there? Well, we're going to look into it a little bit further, but I want you to catch the environment. Matthew 24, 9 and 10, you have to catch the environment. And then I'm going to go back to this, but I just want to finish something. I want to show you something. So we know that there are global events, and the, and the disciples will look around and go, wow, look at the signs of the times. Well, that is supposed to be a signal to us, get ready, the persecution's coming, the affliction's coming, the pressure's coming, the hatred's coming. It's all coming. And so we should be making ready for that, right? We should be preparing, not ignoring it. Oh, we're out of here. Jesus didn't say we're out of here. Verse 11. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Jesus mentions this again. There are going to be false prophets. What are the false prophets going to be saying? Probably, don't worry about it. Everything's all right. Usually in Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, a false prophet is genuinely, usually identified as one who calls for peace and safety in a time of judgment and wrath. Okay, false prophets tickle people's ears. False prophets lie. They're not real. They're not telling the truth. They're telling stories. They're saying things that if you read all about false prophets in the scriptures, they're always bantering to the uh, admiration of men. They're man pleasers. They, they get fed by people by telling them what they want to hear. It's a very horrible thing. Jesus said, many, a whole bunch, a large crowd of false prophets are going to rise and deceive many. 
And for the many that already believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, probably those many false prophets have deceived even the larger crowd of believers or hearers of what they've been saying and a lot of other false teaching that is coming out of the false prophets, the false teachers, the false apostles, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus said there'd be many of them, and there are. Again, adding to the environment, global signs, persecution, false prophecies during the Great Tribulation, gathering the deceived masses into, in, into mega churches so that they could believe they're saved, but they're really not saved. God will send a delusion. They believe a lie. Okay, and yet they're the very people that hate one another. They're betrayed and, and, and all of these things. Okay, so then he said, verse 12, this is key. This is one of the other things. And because iniquity or lawlessness shall abound. In other words, people are not going to be obeying the laws of Yahweh, the laws of God. Because iniquity shall abound, lawlessness will abound. The laws of the Antichrist will abound, like it's okay to murder little babies and men to have sex with men and women to have sex with women and men could turn their bodies into women and vice versa. All these laws, these crazy laws about wearing masks and having vaccinations and whatever they're going to be, well, they're going to abound, okay? Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many shall wax cold. All right. You know and I know that if our love waxes cold, we're in trouble. And it also shows that a person could once have had love and lost love. They fell out of love. This happened in the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. They literally left their love. And there are certain things that will create that environment. We just saw what the environment will be like, persecution, affliction, trouble, distress. And that environment is going to spark something. Believers, if they're not careful, if we're not careful, that is going to cause our love to wax cold. And if our love waxes cold, our heart gets hardened, we are the salt that has lost its saltiness that's good for nothing to be trampled underfoot of men. Okay, these are, these are very powerful truths in the New Testament And we better get hold of them. And what I'm going to share with you, I'm just reserving something right now, the impact of this message. And it's not just to keep your attention, because I'd be much easier just throwing it out there and saying goodbye for the weekend. This is important, okay? Very important. Now, verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The general affection among saints is going to wax cold. But, verse 13, He that shall endure unto the end of this time of affliction, persecution, tribulation, whatever generation is going to walk into this thing, it's going to come. Now Jesus is advocating, but he shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Second time I'm going to ask you the same question. Have you seen anywhere there where Jesus even hinted suggested a pre-tribulational rapture. Have you seen it anywhere? Has he mentioned it? Instead, he's talking about they're going to kill you. You're going to be hated. You're going to be offended if you're not careful. Love of many is going to wax cold. You're going to have to endure to the end, not get out of here before it starts. 
very clear, right? <clears throat> now, he goes on, and, he, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, you'll find that in Revelation chapter 14, by the way. Right after chapter 13, the, the chapter uh, Revelation 13, the tribulation chapter, well, right after that, you're going to see angels flying through the sky, heralding the gospel. And it says, then this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And I want to go back and remind you of that in Revelation 14 before we get out of here. Now, in ver- so even after the tribulation period, the gospel will be preached. Isn't that amazing? But it's also being preached in the world today. Now, verse 15. And again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. What is that? That's the Antichrist. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He enters into the Holy of Holies. He goes and takes a seat in the temple of God, declares himself to be God. It is the exact description of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. We know who the abomination of desolation is. It is Lucifer. It is the beast. It is the the little horn, the big mouth. It's all those descriptions. It is the man of sin. And when you see him enter into the temple, will there be a temple in the last days? Absolutely. Revelation 11 tells us there will be a temple, and the Antichrist will go in. Lucifer will go into that temple because the temple in the Middle East to sacrifice animals is the greatest act of rebellion against God that Israel could ever do because it is a rejection of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And because Israel has rejected Yeshua the Messiah, they're building their own temple. They're going to start animal sacrifices. And that is total rebellion. And so the Antichrist will have a powerful legal right to go into that temple. So that's basically what it's talking about. But then he says this. When you see these things happen, verse 16, then let them which be in Judea. So if you're in Judea where the temple is and all that stuff, let them flee into the mountains. Where is God telling the disciples to go? Flee into the mountains. Is he telling them, get ready, the preacher of rapture is coming? No. He's telling them to flee into the mountains. Then he said, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck or milk in those days of nursing mother. Woe to them. Why? If there's a pre-trib rapture, why is there a woe to nursing mothers? Why are we fleeing to the mountains? Why are we not coming down to get our stuff or get our clothes? If there's a pre-trib rapture, why the woe? Well, verse 20 But pray ye, now Jesus says pray, that your flight, this is not pre-tribulational flight 666. No, this is pray that your flight into the wilderness be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. 
that would be a real bad deal. Jesus literally said to his disciples, pray that you don't have to flee from this coming persecution in the wintertime when you're caught off guard and you don't, can't, can't come down and get your stuff and your clothes or that it's on the Sabbath when you're reposed and relaxed. Pray it doesn't happen on that day when everybody's just calmed down. Have you ever prayed? Lord, let it not be in the winter. Let it not be on the Sabbath day. But that's what Jesus said to pray. Then, ladies and gentlemen, here is, here's the key. Matthew 24, 21. For then, or at that time, shall be great tribulation. We're talking about the great tribulation. Listen to what Jesus said. Such as was not since the beginning of the world. To this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, if 70 AD was the time of the great tribulation that has never been on the face of the earth before, that means 70 AD was worse than the days of Noah. And that means that 70 AD was worse than World War II when the Nazis slaughtered over 6 million Jews. Or World War I or World War II. That, what, what people have a tendency to say, well, this all happened in 70 AD. Well, if that's true, then what Jesus just said is that 70 AD in a small part of the world with a few people that were in Jerusalem, that that was the worst time in their, their history. Worse than Nazi Germany? Worse than Noah's flood? He says, for then shall be great tribulation such was not since the beginning of the world. Go back to the beginning. To this time, to the time it happens, no nor ever shall be. In other words, nothing will ever be like it ever again. Have we seen it? Has it been a global great tribulation? No. It's global. It's all over the world at the same time, and it's not Israeli-centric. So, Jesus said, what's coming in the final generation is a global great tribulation that's going to put all the other tribulations of the past to shame, and there'll never be anything ever like it again. Because after this great tribulation, what's going to happen? You're going to see in just a moment that immediately after the tribulation, now Jesus is going to answer the second question, then he's coming. Because remember, when will these things be? The sign of your coming? He tells them immediately after the tribulation. So let's go look and read it. Verse 22. And except those days should be shortened. What days? The days of the great tribulation. Except they should be shortened, three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. God actually puts a limit on the days of the, of the tribulation. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So now we know that the elect of God are on the earth during the tribulation. And the bottom line is, if anybody was going to be pre-tribulationally raptured, it would have been the elect of God, the overcomers, right? But here, the elect of God are here, and that's why the time is short, so that the elect of God will be able to endure to the end, to get through it. Nowhere has Jesus Christ mentioned one time about a pre-tribulational rapture. 
He goes on in verse 23. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ or there, believe it not. So during the great tribulation, the world is going to be partying, worshiping the dragon and the beast, whatever that means. And they're going to be false Christ and false prophets and mega churches. And they're going to be saying, Christ is in this church. Christ is over here. And Jesus is saying, don't believe it. Don't believe it. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. Remember Revelation 13, the second beast, the magicians showing great signs and wonders. Remember 2 Thessalonians 2, he comes with lying signs and wonders. And he says it right here. For there shall arise false Christs, false prophets. And who's the false prophet of Revelation 13, right? And shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's how dark the deception will be. Now Jesus says in verse 25, Behold, I have told you before. So now he's looking back at the disciples. He's just told them about the beginning of sorrows. He told them about the coming great tribulation that will be greater than at any other time in the history of the world. And then verse 26, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For, and I would think that's the Holy of Holies where the Antichrist will actually be standing, right? He said, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now Jesus is about to talk about his coming. Okay? As clear as the lightning flashing out of the east to the west, so shall my coming be. Just as clear. And then he said in verse 28, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. That is an idiom for when you see these signs begin to come to pass, know that it's at the door. That's all it's saying. When you see birds flying around, you know that there's some prey there. When you see these signs begin to come to pass, you know that this is at the door. Now listen to verse 29. Matthew 24, 29. Jesus Christ said referring to the greatest tribulation that will be, that has never been, will never be again, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. You could read all about that in all the different prophecies everywhere from Isaiah to Ezekiel to Revelation. It's all there, this language. And then he goes on to say, um, all the tribes of the earth shall mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. That's Revelation 1-7. What are they going to see? The Son of Man coming in the clouds. He's now addressing what will be the sign of your coming. You'll be coming in the clouds. When? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Referring to the greatest tribulation that has ever hit the face of the earth. They'll see him coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The angels are coming. The trumpets are sounding. But you'll notice he doesn't make landfall yet. We're going to tie it in. Now, verse 31, and he shall send his angels. So he's not coming to touch the earth. 
in his coming immediately after the tribulation, he's sending his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That is, the no, that is known as the harvest. After the tribulation, Jesus comes in the clouds. He sends his angels with the sound of the voice of the archangel and the trumpet. His angels go forward. There will be a resurrection of the dead at that time, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The angels will gather together the wheat, and the dead in Christ will rise, and they will meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds, and so will they ever be with the Lord. But the Lord does not make landfall at that coming. He doesn't come until Revelation 19, very clear when you really want to look at it. And remember, immediately after Revelation chapter 13, not only is the gospel preached again, but also there's one sitting on a cloud that brings his sickle to reap the earth. That's the harvest right after the Revelation 13 tribulation. It's all there, biblically, it's all there. Now, what is the point? What did I really want to talk about this morning? Well, first of all, I've just showed you, and I could prove it in Mark, in Luke, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 15, there is no such thing as a pre-tribulational rapture. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to do it. How many times have you talked to people about the pre-trib rapture? And you said, where is that in the Bible? And what was their answer to you? Their answer was always the same. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter Four. And so what we'll do, and I, uh, I be not ignorant, okay, I would have you not to be ignorant. I know some of you already know this, but this is not the point. We're still going to get to the major point. It's super important. But here it is. Everybody always says that this is the pre-tribulational chapter on the rapture. This is the rapture chapter. 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's see if we can find it. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep or that died, that you sorrow not as, even as others which have no hope in the resurrection, is what he's referring to. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus or believed in Jesus and died, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Where is Paul getting the word of the Lord? Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, we endured to the end, unto the coming of the Lord, immediately after the tribulation, shall not prevent them which are asleep. Ah, here's a revelation. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Was there even a hint of a pre-tribulational rapture? Not one, right? Not one. Why do people believe this, right? So here, again, the Lord is coming in the cloud. He sends his angels. They gather them together. The added feature, the epiphany that Paul gives, there's a resurrection of the dead. You've never seen a pre-trib rapture movie, the resurrection of the dead, because it's always a secret, imminent, anytime now, pre-rapture doctrine, which Paul dealt with in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. People were saying, any moment the Lord's returning, 
And people were getting nervous and afraid. He said, listen, that day cannot come, referring to the coming of the Lord, unless these two things happen, a falling away and the man of sin be revealed. The Antichrist has to come. It cannot come. The Lord cannot come until after the tribulation, until these events take place. Now, but this is not my point. That's why I'm running through it. I want to go back to Matthew 24. I want to tell you the, the most devastating thing that could happen in your life and my life right now. At these very, very serious times. Wipe out of your mind any idea of a pre-tribulational rapture, just for a moment. Cleanse your mind of that thought. Oh, I don't have to worry. I'm going to be out of here. No, you don't have to worry. But you need to be prepared for what? Being hated, persecuted, killed, afflicted. Your brothers and sisters that you once walked in sweet fellowship with, hating you, betraying you killing you. It's what Jesus said. And there's one thing that's going to devastate the purpose of God in our lives if we are not careful when these things happen. And I want to refer back again to verse 10, Matthew 24, 10. Remember, he just said they're going to deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many saints of God be offended. All right. We need to talk about what happens when we get offended and what does it mean to be offended. Because when they're offended... What does it do? Many shall be offended, and it'll cause one to betray another. It'll cause one to hate another, okay? And offense will cause the love of many to wax cold. So offense is a cancer to love. It literally has the power to destroy agape love in the life of a person. You may have walked in love for 40 years, but now comes the great tribulation. And if we get offended, love will die. So I want to talk for a moment about offenses. And I want to give you a few verses before I get into the definition. Let me just start in Matthew 18, 7. You might want to write these down and do a word study on it this weekend. Matthew 18, 7, woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So you and I need to be careful that we do not offend. Okay. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. Now, we also know that we are not to receive an offense. 
Let me just get that up there as well. I want to get that scripture for offense. <clears throat> and then we'll get to this. We'll get this wrapped up here. So Jesus said, <clears throat> In uh, not to receive an offense, do not do not allow yourself to be offended. So I want to go back to Romans 4:25. Well, that says, "Who was delivered for our offenses?" Uh, Romans 5:16 talks about many offenses under justification, but then Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Listen to the seriousness of this. Now I beseech you, brethren. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. So, causing offenses. Now, in Matthew 18, offenses will come. Luke 17, offenses will come. And in Romans 16, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. It's all the same word. And the word is scandalon. Scandal on. Now, if I go back to <clears throat> Matthew 24, many shall be offended. It's the same word, scandal on or scandalizo. Okay, so let me go back to scandal on, first of all, the offense. And here's what the definition means. It, and I'm just going to give you every definition I have here on scandal on. You know what a scandal is, right? <clears throat> so a scandal on or an offense, when we get offended, if we get offended, it is a movable stick or trigger of a trap. <clears throat> have you ever heard someone say, you've got a You've got a trigger, you know. Oh, they, 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 they hit my trigger. They push my buttons. <clears throat> we have to be careful about having trigger mechanisms and buttons that could be pushed. Don't push my button, man. I got news for you. And I'm saying it to the man in the mirror as well. Every button in your life is going to be pushed by the pressure that's coming. If you've got a trigger that sets things off in your life, that is the offense. And the devil is going to exploit every trigger and every button that's in our lives. I'm telling you the truth. Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, that filthy, unclean devil. In the time of tribulation, many shall be Offended. In other words, many who never dealt with their buttons, with their triggers, are going to get snared. Watch this. So it is a trap. To be offended is a trap. It's a snare. <clears throat> Any impediment placed in the way <clears throat> and causing one to stumble or fall. Any impediment placed in the way and causing one to stumble or fall, it is a stumbling block. It is a rock which is a cause of stumbling. <sighs> Figuratively, Jesus, it was applied to Jesus Christ 
whose person and career were so contrary to the expectations of the Jews. So watch, this is important. They were so contrary to the expectations of the Jews concerning the Messiah that they rejected him by their obstinacy, made shipwreck of their salvation. So because their expectations of what Messiah should be, they rejected him and they shipwrecked. Well, in the last days, many disciples have an an expectation of a pre-tribulational rapture. And it's going to shipwreck the faith of many, the majority. It also is a trap stick. We said that. It's a snare. But here's one that really caught my attention. It's something that causes displeasure. It's a cause of displeasure. Let me give you an understanding. Many things, times, things come into our lives that cause pleasure. We have friends that give us things or share gifts with us, and we, we, there's pleasure in them. We take pleasure. We, we meet people that do nice things, and it causes pleasure. But an offense is created when people do things that create, cause displeasure. We have an expectation. We want to see things wonderful, and yet they're given in a manner that is just rank. Or you, you, it could be one of a thousand things. Whatever causes displeasure in your life, somebody said something to you that you didn't like, somebody you're driving nicely down the road and somebody cuts you off, it pushes your button and you respond. It's all offense. Parents tell their children 500 times, I want your drawers clean. They walk into that room, the drawers are not clean. Their buttons are pushed. The child is now causing displeasure to the parent, causes the parent to get offended, and the relationship is marred. It's all about offenses. We're talking about little things. And yet the things that are going to create the offenses now are going to be being hated and betrayed. I mean, if your best friend betrays you, it's going to cause displeasure if you're not careful. If your Christian brothers and sisters hate you and they throw your name out as evil, it's displeasurable. This is where offense comes from. This, as a human being who am a follower of Jesus Christ, concerns me deeply about my own heart. And as a pastor, the heart of the people that we are serving because I know that the one thing in the last days that will destroy, well, look what offended people do. They act weird. They betray, they hate others. If we receive an offense, if we take it, we're taking the bait of Satan I've got news for you, and I've got news for this man in the mirror right here. Many offenses are coming. Many opportunities to be offended are coming. And what does offense do? Offense, listen, this is the most important thing. This is what this is all about today because of what we know is coming. Offense is, again, a cancer that will destroy love. Now, what happens 
when love is destroyed. Okay. What happens when love is destroyed? So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to leave this with you this weekend. I'm going, to, I'm going to impart something right now. This is God's word. This is what the Lord said to do today. Because again, if I take an offense, immediately I'm going to react negatively concerning God's standard of righteousness. And I'm going to allow a cancer to start eating away at my love. And the devil sees that I'm a vulnerable. Many offenses are coming. Jesus told us many offenses are coming to push our buttons, to trigger mechanisms. And if we don't get cleaned up before the Lord, our love will wax cold and we will die and our salvation will be null. So here's the admonition. 1 Corinthians 13.1, this wasn't intended by God to be read at marriage ceremonies. I mean, you could, but that's not the reason why it was written. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the greatest admonition to believers throughout the ages and forever will be. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So I could prophesy, I could speak in the tongues of angels, I could speak in the spirit, because this is right on the heels of 1 Corinthians 12 about all the gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, 1 Thessalonians 14, when you pray in tongues, you're, no man understands because you're speaking mysteries one-on-one to God. I mean, you could, but though I do speak with tongues of angels and of men, and have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Verse 2, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Come on, how many of us? Man, I teach that book of Revelation. Oh, I teach the word of God. Oh, I understand end times. Oh, I got my view. I've got this. I've got that. I've got all this information, revelation, knowledge. Well, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, it profits me zilch. Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. Holy Spirit, through Paul, says, I could be the most intelligent, mapped out, accurate, absolutely right on target in my understanding of end-time Bible prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and with it, have a mountain-moving faith. Oh, we admire those faith teachers, right? Some do, some don't. But if I don't have love, because I'm offended I've been offended by the world accusing me, attacking me. A lot of mega church leaders out there have experienced that. So so many of us as well. So if I don't have love, it probably nothing. Verse 4. No, no, no. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods 
to feed the poor. I'm going to do a religious act. I'm going to give my alms. I'm going to go, I'm going to go give all my money, all my wealth, all my stuff. I'm going to go feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, put me on the stake. I have religious zeal. I mean, Muslims will die in a whatever, worship Allah, right? I have religious zeal and have not love. It profits me nothing. So the first thing we understand is that I could have religious zeal. I could give all my stuff away. I could have mountain-moving faith. I could have all knowledge and know the mysteries and prophecy. I could speak in tongues and interpretation of tongues. But none of it matters if I don't have love. To me, it sounds like if I have love, you could have all that other stuff. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, keep it. I need to make sure that I have abiding love in my heart. And if I'm getting offended by the little things, it's a sure sign I'm vulnerable in the last days to being offended by the big things and losing my love, I will lose my salvation. And I don't want to go into eternity without salvation. This is serious business. This is serious eternal business. You say, how do I get cleaned up? Well, he tells us here what love is, and this is what we work on. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long. So in other words, you keep turning the cheek. I mean, you really do have to just keep turning it, turning it, turning it, turning it. Son, I told you 500 times about those drawers. Well, it's going to be 501 times. I'm going to have to find a way through some kind of godly discipline, discipline with love, to get you to get it right. I'm not going to get offended by what you're doing. You're not treating my stuff well. You're giving me your leftovers, God said. I mean, even God got offended at stuff that people did, right? But when he gets offended, it's totally different. It really is. So anyways, it suffers long. So if we're going to have genuine agape love, We're going to suffer long, and it is kind. Kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not only for people out there, it should begin at home, in our own families. Kindness is a fruit, a divine attribute of the Holy Spirit. Love envies not. Don't envy others that are doing better than you. It does not envy. It doesn't vaunt itself, doesn't puff itself up, right? It doesn't push itself forward. I'm first. I'm the one. I'm the guy. I'm the gal. No, it doesn't do that. It sets back. This is what love does and allows others to be better. It literally allows other people to get the attention, to get the admiration, to, 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 to be cheered on. Wow, that was great. It, give, it, it sets back. It doesn't push forward. It does not behave itself unseemly. In other words, it's not raw. I mean, it's just not nasty. It's not dirty. It's not unseemly. It seeks not her own. So love 
is never self-seeking. It's always seeking the well-being of others. Are you convicted yet? Come on. I read these things and I'm going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Uh, There's room for growth here in this heart of mine. My heart has to grow. I need an immersion, a baptism of agape love. I mean, I can see it as I'm reading. I'm not blind. I'm looking at this thing going, wow. It goes on and says, is not easily provoked. Man, if I'm driving down and I'm in full pleasure cruising down the road and somebody cuts me off, oh, come on. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil against anybody. I'm going to get back. I'm going to get even. It rejoices not in iniquity, lawlessness. It doesn't rejoice in, oh, we get to be free to sin. It doesn't, no, it doesn't rejoice in lawlessness. But love rejoices in the truth. Man, whatever truth is found, praise God for truth. Verse 7 goes on to say, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things, even the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. Love, verse 8, never fails. There are things coming at you and I, warp speed, times a billion. And if we get caught off guard because we have not prepared our hearts, we're dead. Period. We've got to find a way, not sloppy agape, but to walk in love and to say of the things that go wrong or cause displeasure in our lives, they really don't matter. Does that give people an opportunity to take advantage of us? Yes. Yes, it does. But what's more important, being taken advantage of by people or allowing my love to die and losing my fellowship with my Father in heaven? Offense carries anger, wrath, meanness. I mean, it carries all kinds of other things. These are spirits. This is what Jesus said was going to happen in the last days to the majority. They're going to get offended, and it's going to rob them of their love. Charity never fails. Love never fails. The love of God is to be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, Romans chapter 5. You know what we need, church? Maybe not all. An immersion. If the heavens are about to open on the day of Pentecost, if there's a harvest, if there's an open heaven and an outpouring, we want more power. We want more mountain-moving faith. We want to have gifts, extraordinary gifts. 
not me. This heart, this man, I need to open myself up and I need the Holy Spirit to baptize me in agape love. I need to be so overwhelmed with the love of God because I know what's coming and I don't want to fail of the grace of God. I need more love. I needed to wash my brain, bind and rebuke and cast out demons that would try to set me up to be offended. I need to secure myself in the blood because the blood is the love of God, is in the blood of the Lamb. Though the blood of Jesus, he could have been offended and he was not offended. I don't want to be offended. And the twin sister of offense is fear, by the way. Fear will rob you of your love, but perfect love casts out all fear. But I'm talking about offense today. So many things could take away our pleasure. You know what's important is to know that what we're doing is right before the Lord. If we know that what we're doing is right before the Lord, and then something bad happens, Peter said, if we suffer for doing what is right, happy are we. But if we're doing anything that is not right before the Lord, and then we suffer for it, there's no benefit in it. And it has the potential to steal our joy, rob us of our love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. In other words, we won't be in part anymore when that which is perfect has come. What is that which is perfect? Love. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect, mature, complete love will keep us from being offended. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. And don't, you know, I want to just uh, couple this with understanding. You know, we're all new at this journey with Jesus, right? We're all new at this walk with God. We really are. And God has made a tremendous amount of effort and provision for our failures. Okay? His grace is sufficient. His mercy is amazing. He has labored to make it bearable. He's allowing us to go through things to show us our heart. If we ignore it, we're in trouble. However, if we see the errors and change by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, he's preparing us for the end times. I know you may have food and water and shelter and a place to live and If there's no love on that ark, if there's not enough love to take care of that place or that house that you live in or wherever you are, if it's all self-centered, it's all about me, if it's all about, well, the next guy will do it, 
it's not going to mean anything. This is about walking in love, not emotional love. Love is an action. Love is a powerful force that never fails, never gives up, bears, hopes, believes, all things. What would be very helpful is if we disciples walked in love. And I am here to tell you today that without it, we're dead. We are dead. There are things that are very important to us, very important. We have standards that we desire to be honored. And when they're not, it is a potential threat to my salvation if I get offended or displeased. And I've got to find a way through love to say, no, it's not worth it. I'm not taking the bait of Satan. I've got to spit this thing out. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Selfish. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. These days are no time to be childish in our understanding, in our conduct. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abides, this is what remains, folks, faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And it uses the word charity. And the word charity, just so you know, if I have not charity, is agape, affection, goodwill, benevolence, brotherly love, love feasts. That's what it means, a love feast among the people of God. Among the people of God, brotherly love, brotherly affection, brotherly goodwill. In other words, what's going to happen when people get offended in the body of Christ? They're going to hate one another, betray one another. But what will love do? It'll bind it together. And I believe if we allow that to happen, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will come. And it won't just be what we expect. It's going to exceed our expectations because we serve a God who does exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. I want to ask God to forgive me for my lovelessness when it happens. I don't want to be loveless in any situation. I want to ask for the blood of Christ to cleanse my heart. And I want you to do the same thing. Our salvation is on the line here. Our eternal salvation is on the line here. And there are mighty satanic, demonic forces that are at work in this world to rob us of the treasure of our salvation. They're here to kill us. They are here to overcome us. But we have been told that we are the overcomers. 
And without love, there is no overcoming. Being offended, buttons, trigger points, unhealthy. Confess them. Confess them. I want to tell you, we prayed yesterday for Marguerite in Chicago. By the time we got off the air yesterday, she was already out of surgery. Successful completion. Woohoo! Got it. We went and prayed with our sister Lynn. We believe for a good report. She had the spots on her lungs. She had the spots on her lungs. And you know what? Sometimes our offenses, our triggers, our buttons are like spots of cancer in our lives. But there is a cross. And there is a Christ of the cross who shed his blood to cleanse us from these buttons and triggers, these spots that are hurting our lives. Let us receive Christ today. Let us receive his mercy today and walk in his love because there is no other way. There is no other way. I had a call coming in here. Let me see if I could get the call. I don't know if we're still on the line or not. Area code 916. Are you there? 916. Yes, sir. I'm here. Good morning, Pastor Vincent. I'm glad to hear you're still on the air with us. Good morning to you, Brother Mark. What's on your heart this morning? Well, I just wanted to share a couple thoughts. I really appreciate what you were saying about buttons and triggers. Um, Just looking at the world for a moment here, just for a few seconds, If you look at the world of psychology, there are entire collections of books written about buttons and triggers, buttons and triggers and woes. Oh, my. You know, um, a person who is not paying attention to scripture, but rather paying attention to psychology can just spend a lifetime studying buttons and triggers. And it's ridiculous. It just so misses the point. So, What I really want to say is I want to talk a little bit just for a moment here about a couple other scriptures um, regarding the subject of offense as contrasted with forgiveness. In Matthew 6, Jesus was telling, he was instructing people how to pray. And part of the prayer that he instructed people, some of the language here is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Then in Matthew 6:14, Jesus went on to explain, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Moving on in Matthew 6:15, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So what this speaks to my heart, Pastor, is that the process of forgiveness in the light of offense, when we are tempted to take offense, when we are presented with somebody pushing our buttons, uh, pushing our triggers, we need to forgive instantaneously. It needs to be an exercise in spiritual lightning. It needs to be lightning fast. That is, in my view, how a believer can be successful in not taking offense. And that is that we forgive. We forgive the trespass instantly. 
without hesitation. And in this way, we are going to be able to avoid taking offense. We will be able to hold on to our love. Our love will not wax cold. There's another part of this also, Pastor, which is really, really, really real to me, and that is that in order to have the power of the Lord in our blood, in order to have the blood of Jesus running through our veins, we need to keep our hearts clean because the Lord does not want to inhabit a temple that has dirty floors. And we keep our hearts clean by remaining open to the Holy Spirit to convict us, and by repenting from sin when the Holy Spirit sheds light on that and confessing. We're going to be convicted first, and we confess, and then we repent. And in this way, keeping our floors of our house clean, the Holy Spirit will be content to reside in our house. And with the Holy Spirit running through our blood, we're going to have the spiritual power by the blood of Jesus Christ to instantly forgive those who offend us, instantly forgive those who trespass against us. And that, sir, is all I have to say. Is that your story? That's my story, Pastor, and I'm sticking to it. I love it. It's a great story. And you said that absolutely. That is such a perfect close to what we're talking about here today, the forgiveness of God. And unfortunately, the word tells us many people are going to give it away. They're going to throw it away. They're not going to forgive. They're going to let it blow, in other words. They're just going to let the offense go. And every time that we do, it is an indication that there's a serious problem. And if we don't deal with it, it could trouble us in the days ahead. So I love the fact that you brought out the forgiveness, man. That's so good. And the cleansing fount, the blood of Yeshua. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Beautiful. Anything else, Brother Mark? You want to say hello to your wifey? Would you like to say hello to your wifey? Yes, I would like to do that. Cindy, honey, if you're listening right now, hello. We love you. We miss you. We're so very proud of you because you're blessed to be ministering to your mom and ministering to your sister. God bless you, my beautiful wife. Mm, Beautiful. All right, Brother Mark, thanks for calling in. God bless you. All right, we're going to move on. Yes, amen. Uh, We have another call coming in. Let's see if they're actually taking calls right now. So area code 479-321, you're on the air. Welcome to the broadcast. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Elder Phil, Phil, how are you? Good, good, very good. Getting better. I've been practicing keeping my shoulders straight, like a chiropractor told me to. Yep, yep. And now, if I slump over and try to walk uh, my shoulders down and not upright, it starts to hurt the other way. So it's the process is about done. But well, the main thing I wanted to talk about was. Uh, Forgiveness. Yeah, I think the everyone will stand before Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know, less than a second after they die. And I think the most terrifying question to come from Jesus would be, why are you here? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. That's just... 
folks. They have to forgive. Uh, every time I've wanted to dig in and not forgive, I think I told you about the time that the Holy Spirit started to withdraw from me when I wouldn't forgive somebody. So, well, anyway, that's my thought. I don't, I'd like to hear what you think. Yeah, well, absolutely, Phil. That is absolutely heavy to consider the, the, the possibility that the Lord would actually say, depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Wow. You know, I never knew you. That's heavy. And yet there are people that, I don't know, the scriptures are just kind of plain. So how do we wrap up this Friday? We wrap it up this way. The greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth is coming. We're already in the beginning of sorrows. Global persecution is going to break out. It's already happening in Nigeria, China, other places around the world. It's coming all over the world. It's going to be a period of time like no other time that ever hit the face of this earth. It's not the days of Noah with water. It is the reserve of fire. Get ready by making sure that love. Go to your prayer closet. I'll do the same. God, fill me with your love. For God is love. Fill me with love. It doesn't take away my passion. It doesn't make me not speak the truth, but I speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean we're not uh, primed a certain way by God himself, designed to be prophetic or whatever. Sometimes that offends people. The, the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, you offended them. And he says, come on, let's go. There's a time to offend what is wicked. Okay. We cannot receive an offense. No buttons, no triggers. Would you work on it this weekend? I'll do the same. Let's work on any triggers, any buttons, so that the enemy has no territory. Remember the scripture said, give place, give no place to the devil. Don't give him a place. Don't give him a button. Don't give him a trigger. In Jesus' name. All right, y'all. It's Friday. <clears throat> We've got to go. We've got calls coming in everywhere right now. And um, there's probably an important call. Hold on one second. Let's just see who that is. Yes, sir. Hey, Pastor, you going to take that motor home down today? Hold on. I'll call you right back. I'm just going off the air. All right. So, oh, great, great thought. Don't go anywhere. So we're leaving Thursday. Next Thursday, um, we're leaving to go to South Dakota. And I was given a message by the pastors up there, and I want to bring this to your attention. I'm so sorry I didn't do this. Uh, for those of you that want to take a trip up to South Dakota, we have a big caravan coming from Northwest Arkansas. Uh, but maybe some of you are out there and you want to take the trip uh, next weekend, okay? So next Thursday, we'll be traveling up. We'll be spending the night there, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, returning Monday. And Patricia and I have been invited to go speak up there at a conference. And so what I received from um, Pastor <clears throat> Dave and Victoria, uh-oh, I know they have got it here. Let's see. All right, here it is. So here's, this is information for those of you who want to go up to South Dakota uh, next weekend. 
a week from this coming weekend. Shalom, we look forward to seeing what our mighty God has for us next weekend. Would you please announce to those who are planning on coming up this way? So I'm making an announcement. Anybody planning to go up to South Dakota uh, at the end of May, okay, May 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, uh, we extended the block of rooms for a special discounted price through this weekend, okay? So the weekend that's coming. So May 20th is Thursday. We're leaving. We'll be there May 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and then Sunday we're le- or Monday we're leaving the 24th to come home. So if you want to go up to South Dakota, they've blocked out with special discounted prices throughout the weekend. If someone has already made reservations and did not get in the block of rooms from River of Fire Ministries uh, and the discount, you didn't get that, have them call the motel and talk with Stephanie, the manager, to get the correction made. So if you already blocked a room in South Dakota, but you didn't get the River of Fire discount, call Stephanie at the American Inn in Hartford. Uh, South Dakota, and they will honor the discount through the weekend. So you can get a better price on your hotel room. So again, if you're going up to South Dakota, make sure you call the Hartford Inn. Tell them you're going to be there for the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and they will give you a discounted rate, which is great. And again, that's the America, the American Inn Hotel in Hartford, South Dakota. And so we hope that we will see you. Um, and Lord willing, the information that we've shared for the last couple of weeks, we went 13 chapters into the book of Revelation. We just kind of finalized some thoughts about that. There's so many more. I wish you a weekend of love, agape, baptism, Holy Spirit. Remember this Sunday, right coming up, Shavuot, the 50th day is coming. Today, this is the 47th day of the counting of the Omer. May expectation fill our hearts. And may we pray to the God of heaven to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Remember, prepare your offering for Shavuot to give to your pastors, your churches, the ministers of the altar. Make sure you do that. Connect the dots. Put it together in this economical season that you're in for the blessing of the Lord is real. It is true. Let your faith be engaged in that. Live an abundant life. Remember you're more important than the birds of the air. Papa is not against you. He's training us up so that we could be successful in the days that we are living in to get the victory over all these things that shall surely come upon the earth. Hallelujah. Shari is saying hello. Hello, Shari, all the way from California. Shirley Woosley saying, God bless and save travels. Uh, travels, travels. Uh, very good. Uh, Vinny Pots and Pans has been with us today. And Joyce Young, I desire to be an overcomer. Jody Keene, Fire is coming. I desire to be an overcomer too, Joyce, by the way. And you're right on, Jody. Fire is coming. And Vinny Pots and Pans, God bless your love, my friend. Uh, Cindy's been with us all the way from California today. We had some great conversations going on with Brenda Torville. Uh, and we had River Christian Center. Pastor Jeff was bringing out some incredible conversation as well. I like this. The Holy Spirit spoke to me that if we fill the building with his presence, He will fill the buildings with his people. It's about his presence because in his presence is fullness of joy. And someone said, amen. 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 Great advice. Lord Jesus, help. River Christian Center, I need an upper room experience. I agree. 
All right, guys, that's it. We're done. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Tuesday, Lord willing, right here on The Watchman. Right now on Omega Radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is a roundtable discussion. Don't forget to like this page, subscribe to it, let people know, share with everybody what we're talking about here at Omega Radio. And also, if you'd like to support the ministry, you know how to do that. Remember, omegaradio.org. Right now, there's a roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier out of her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. We'll see you Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Shalom, everybody.